Our scripture reading today is from the NIV. Our first scripture today is Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Our second passage is from the book of Revelation. It is Revelation 5, 9 through 14. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you and show forth your glory. Amen. Well, friends, we are in the middle of a sermon series. We call it a stewardship sermon series, preaching that that really reinforces and, and deepens our understanding of something that's a very practical action, and that is considering our giving to the Lord. Last week, we looked at a scene in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, a scene of heavenly worship, and it's the setting of what we are identifying as our theme song for this stewardship season. And it's the second song that we sang today, a song titled, Is He Worthy? Jesus, appearing as the Lamb of God who has been slain yet is alive, is now enthroned with the Almighty God and is worshipped accordingly. The Lamb is the one, the only one, who can open the scroll And open its seven seals. He is the only worthy agent through whom God's divine plan can be put into action. In the heavenly throne room, four living creatures and 24 elders sing a song of praise to the Lamb. Today we're going to look at this ever-expanding song of praise. And they begin by singing, you are worthy. Worthy. Deserving. Rightfully honored. Rightfully worshipped. 
Last week, we paused to consider that the English word worship comes from the old English word worthship. Today, we continue to explore this scene, listening to the expanding song of praise. And in it, we consider these questions that come to us from this text. What does the worthiness of the Lord mean? What is its content? And what does it mean for us to worship our worthy Lord? And how can we participate personally in this universal song of praise? Well, we begin by considering the crescendo of the sound of all creation. What you see in Revelation chapter 5, when the Lamb is on the throne with Almighty God, this song of praise that comes, it, there is an ever-expanding song that gets louder and louder and involves all of creation. So in verse 11, we read, I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne. So before, it was just four living creatures and 24 elders. But then it goes to basically a second verse. And in that second verse, angels from everywhere, more than can be counted, join in on a second verse. The text says they numbered, in in the Greek, in the New Revised Standard Version, they don't translate this into kind of a regular... English that we use every day, but they use an English word that is like a transliteration of the Greek word. They say they numbered myriads of myriads. Myriad is a word in English that means thousands. Thousands upon thousands, more than can be counted. Singing with a full voice. That word full can also be translated loud. So we see and hear that we, we hear the volume going up. And then in verse 13, a third verse comes in. And this is louder still. And who participates in singing in this verse? None other than every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. These words of praise to the Lamb on the throne. Bob Mounts is a biblical scholar who uh, happened to be the president of Whitworth College when I attended there back in the 1980s. After he retired, he was a biblical scholar by training, and he went on to uh, author one of the, the top biblical commentaries on the book of Revelation. And he says this about this moment. He says, with the handing of the scroll to the Lamb, we enter into the one, of, one of the greatest scenes of universal adoration anywhere recorded. Do you get a sense of that? Do you get a sense of that in its reading? The adoration of the Lamb moves out in ever-widening circles First, it is an innumerable host of angels who lift up their voices in a great doxology of praise and then continues to all of creation. In verses 9 through 14, we notice this crescendo. Like concentric circles, like ripples in a pond, but the pond being the entire universe, expanding out from the throne room. 
three layers of increasingly full, loud sound building into a single note of universal praise. From those first living creatures, those four living creatures and the 24 elders, the view then pans out to include angels too many to count. And then the next level, every creature everywhere. New Testament scholar Ian Boxall describes it this way. He says, when one thought the canvas could not contain any more, a massive panorama opens up. And we see angels. The vision reaches its climax with ear-splitting intensity, and all of creation is caught up in praise of God and the Lamb. Every created thing is involved. And in this move, we basically learn a theology of creation. That the forces of evil, that some of you are recognizing there will be a battle coming up in Revelation, it's not God's good creation that is the problem. So it's not like there are certain sea creatures that are the the personification of evil. Uh, No, all of the creatures of the sea are praising God in this moment. They're the good guys. Even all human beings. God's good creation. Do you know what THX is? Of course you do. THX sets the standard for audiovisual reproduction in movie theaters and other environments. Now, rather than an, an actual recording technology, like Dolby Sound is a recording technology, but THS... THX is a quality assurance system. So when you see that you're watching a movie in THX sound, it means that that it has passed a certain series of requirements so that your experience of hearing the sound is as close as possible to the sound that the sound engineer originally made for you to hear. It was developed by Tomlinson Holman, hence the TH, at George Lucas's company, Lucasfilm, in 1983 to ensure that the soundtrack for the third Star Wars film, The Return of the Jedi, would be accurately reproduced in movie theaters. Now, most of us will recognize the THX trailer that precedes movies. The sound we hear there is called the deep note. What one source calls one of the most recognizable sonic identities in the world. It was composed by Lucasfilm sound engineer Dr. James Andy Maurer. And his score is on the screen. It's a deeply resonant chord that builds to a crescendo from a rumbling low pitch. Here it is. Now, I know you all think you're going to see a movie right now. It's kind of conditioned to the entire culture, uh, kind of like, oh, oh, I'm excited. 
Now, in a way, the crescendo of the THX deep note is like what's happening in the throne room and emanating out to all of creation. It's more than just a sound. We're in chapter 5 of 22 chapters in Revelation. And most people know that a battle between good and evil, a climactic, decisive battle, is about to take place. This universal chord of praise is the sound of the forces of good, the forces of God, about to do battle with the forces of evil that have plagued human existence from time immemorial. While we're thinking about great movies and the incredible sound engineering. Think about movies where there's a climactic battle like, like in the final installment of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Think of the sound of the increasing forces gathered for that final battle, the sound of the good guys. But we also know that's not the only sound. There's also the sound of the forces of evil. We remember that THX was designed specifically for the Star Wars franchise, a story that reminds us that the good force is not the only one out there, for evil is also known by its own hideous and fearful sound. What is the deep note of this chorus of praise emanating from the throne room in heaven throughout the universe? It is a panoply of praise. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then, in verse 13, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. A panoply is a wide-ranging and impressive array. This is a panoply of praise words, worship words. The message of this ever-expanding song of praise. And these words are code words. They're worship words from the Hebrew culture. They are from the Hellenistic synagogue. You would remember each one of these words from the Old Testament. From the Psalms. These are words for God. These are political words. These are words that, that can be offered by people in this world either to humans or to God. In the New Testament, these words are spoken of as characteristics of Jesus Christ. But in the first century, these words were also given by those who worshipped the political power of the Roman Empire, Caesar. It's known as the emperor cult. And they worshipped Caesar and past Caesars as gods. And so in saying this, 
In saying these words to the Lamb, they are saying, yes, these belong to Jesus and to the Almighty God and not to Caesar. God, not the emperor, is creator and Lord of all and most worthy of praise. The lamb is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Three of these words in particular are emphasized in the song of creation and also in our theme song's chorus. Blessing and honor and glory. I just thought I'd pause a bit to to open up the meaning of those three words. Blessing, in Greek, eulogia, eulogy, good words. Blessing, praise, it can also mean generous gift. We think about what we often do in November around Thanksgiving time if we want to get the most out of the season. And that is to consider how God has blessed us and consider how we might be a blessing. Because as people of faith, we recognize that we are blessed to be a blessing. The word honor, time in Greek, it's also a word with a financial root. It means value or price. To honor someone means to esteem them as having a high value. So when you honor your spouse, you're saying to your spouse, you are more valuable to me than other things that the world sets high prices on. Think about that and live into it in love, all of our married couples. But when we honor God, we recognize God's worth. We recognize God's worth as being above those things the world tells us that are of higher value. And then finally, glory. Doxa. Glory. This is a word in Greek that did not mean what it now means before the New Testament writers got a hold of it. Because this is the word that the New Testament writers used, uh, and also the people who translated the Old Testament from the Hebrew to the Greek in the Septuagint in Alexandria, Egypt. They use this word, doxa, which we translate glory, as a translation of God's radiant being. The light emanating from God's presence that the Old Testament speaks of. This was the word to the Greek-speaking world that corresponds to that. So we think, when we think of glory, we think of light. And we also think of light as it's contrasted with darkness. The collective meaning of these seven words, it's, it's, some of you are aware that Revelation is full of extra special meanings with the numbers of things. And there are seven words offered to the Lamb. Seven is the number of wholeness of fullness, of completion, of perfection. It is God's number. With God, the and separating these words goes on forever. Speaking of and, 
Let's talk about ampersand. So this is the and sign, known as ampersand. It began as a, really the Latin word and is et, the letters E-T, speaking of great movies with great sound. But et, E-T, was kind of over time, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, Combined in in uh, in writing, it's called a ligature, where two letters are actually touching each other in the way that they are written by hand, and so the e and the t together, and eventually people got really fancy with the e and the t, and that's why we have the and sign. Now, why is it called ampersand? Well, I'll tell you. You know, Wikipedia is great for a lot of things. So, so uh, the name amp it comes from it's it. A phrase that says and per se and the the words per se mean by itself so whenever a letter is also a word you can say of that like like the word I or the word a is actually a word by itself and so you could say a per se a now I never do that because I'm not a linguist but but and per se and uh, was the phrase that described what this symbol was and uh, it got shortened in, in regular conversation, and by 1837, uh, linguists say that uh, it became ampersand, and the rest is history. Now, for many years, the alphabet was taught with ampersand as the 27th part. Did anyone learn uh, any kind of nursery rhyme to know the alphabet with ampersand at the end? Anyone? I'm just wondering. That would put date you about 150 years ago. So uh, we're 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 good. We're good. Uh, let the record show that uh, that we've got the we've got the new alphabet going on. But actually, uh, because it's rooted in Latin, uh, most of the languages, European languages that derive from Latin, use the ampersand symbol. Why are we talking about the ampersand? There's a power in and, in the ampersand. It means more. It means in addition to. And it can remind us that with God, there is always an and. Ann Voskamp reminds us with our gratitude that, that we should count our gratitude. We should journal our gratitude, what we're thankful for, all the way up so that we can say that we've received from God 1,000 gifts. And guess what? When you reach 1,000, you don't stop counting. It goes on and on and on. There's a great little song in the Christian tradition uh, that, that goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, but count your many blessings, name them one by one. We had a member of our church years ago who used to sing that. Art Lewicki was his name. And he would break into kind of a Disney narration and say, name them one by one. I just love it. I remember that all the time. But name them one by one. There's always one more thing to add with an and when we think about how God has blessed us. Amen. So and is an essential part of a life of gratitude. Have it at the ready. As you're counting your blessings, as you're journaling your 1,000 gifts, as you're considering around your Thanksgiving table later on, and you're saying thank you to God, 
have that and ready. Maybe start in your, as you write these things down, practice your ampersand. By the way, it is legit to do it the way most of us do it, which is just like almost like a plus like that. But I'm kind of encouraged to, I think I'm going to try to actually start writing a real ampersand. So stay tuned on that. This all leads us to this moment of our giving in worship to God. We recognize that in our giving, we are no less than enacting eternity. Living and giving in light of eternity. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The key word here is honor. And yes, it is one of those words from Revelation. And we honor God with our wealth, which, by the way, you noticed is another one of the seven words from this song of praise throughout all the universe. These things belong to God. An offering of the first fruits of our crops, our income, is what we do to enact this honor with our wealth. It's a practical act. It's a, an earthy act. But in light of eternity, it's part of something massive. Something greater. Something of eternal significance. And we can live this way in a perpetual state of wonder. Or not. We could just decide that it's all about us. And life is all about money. And so much so that to even think about giving that away generously, we have no way of processing that. I recently read a blog post by a man named John Reinhardt that claims, money is the idol of our age. Do you recognize this message? Life being found in the abundance of our possessions. More money will make you happier. A bigger house, more land, a better car, more clothes, more vacations. That these are the treasures that we need to be pursuing. The cultural pressure toward loving and trusting in our money is immensely strong. In our culture, money is the symbol of success. It anchors our value. And in the church, you hear sermons about money a couple of times a year. And it makes us really uncomfortable. But think about all of the messages that we hear that are counter to this message. And we hear those every single day. We might even go so far as to consider that the forces of evil that are at issue in Revelation, the decisive battle to finally defeat those forces, we will discover a character in Revelation known by name as Satan. And that force of evil is behind the message to get us to think that money is is a worthy God. 
And yet the word from scripture reminds us that treating money that way is in fact, or could be said to be, the root of all evil. So the stakes are pretty high. And how do we face it? How do we join with this ever-expanding song of praise, giving worthy worship to our worthy Lord? We, we do it through worship, through recognizing God's ultimate worth and finding ways to communicate that from our human lives. We do it in our generous giving, the Holy Spirit freeing us from the love of money. Our offering flows from our wealth as an expression of our love for God, but also as an expression of God's love for the world. Every time that we see lives touched by God's love, you saw a video of it in a classroom in the Dominican Republic today. And that's multiplied all over the world every single day. That happens because people are joyfully worshiping God and giving God the worthy worship that is due his name. And it then is expressed as God's love for all creation. Who thought that the simple act of putting money in an offering plate or filling out a pledge card and placing it in a basket could have universal significance? It might seem just like another purchase in our lives or maybe an investment. But if we look at it in light of eternity, it's something altogether different. It's at another level. As we give our offering, we join the universal cord of praise, and it becomes a mic drop moment. Friends, in our giving, we honor God. We give God glory. We join the eternal chorus of praise, and we are swept up in the sound. And what a deep joy it is to be invited into this dimension of giving. And so, as we conclude, we again ask the question of this series. Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? And we, with the crescendo of all creation, with the panoply of praise words, respond, he is. Amen.